To say Shane Graham has an unfair advantage as a college special teams coach is a gross understatement. With a career spanning well over a decade, numerous Pro Bowls, and memorable performances, in this episode, Shane Graham takes what we think we know about kicking and college football and absolutely blows the doors off its hinges. Enjoy. All right, so what is, what's the one thing everybody gets wrong about kicking that when you see it just makes your – makes you shake your head if you could change this one thing what would it be i would say the perception that it's easy yep uh to me everyone just sees it on tv and they're so used to seeing people making kicks that you know they call the shorter ones chip shots and you know especially the guys that are kind of getting their tails kicked on every play and bashing their heads against each other um it's hard for them to truly understand you know, the skill set of a refined motion that you have to replicate over and over and over. Um, and it, it doesn't help that at times there are kickers that they kind of take for granted that they don't go through the physical strain that the other guys go through, and they may not share respect to the other guys as far as what they do. So they kind of take it for granted. But um, I, I think just changing the perception that, you know, Oh, you've got one job. You know what's what's wrong with you if you can't do it? You know, and 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 that's that's annoying, and that, that's annoying from a perspective of when I was doing it to annoying to a perspective as to when I I'm around it or coaching it or whatever. And you know, knowing that it takes so many things that can go wrong on a kick that most people could never look at and see what that one thing was because everything can look perfect and you can still miss the kick. Right. And, so many people are like, well, he's only got one job. Why can't he do that? And it just annoys the fire out of me. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you, man. And, and it, guys like you and your prime and Justin Tucker make it look really easy. So then when somebody finally does miss it, they're like, well, it was a chip shot. And then, yeah. oh, well, there we go. What, that, a, what a, and, yeah. Well, and I would also say the perspective of those kickers, especially on the high school level, that because they can go out and hit a few in a row off the sticks or hit a few in, you know, in their high school games where they might have a one four five one five zero operation time that think when they see a guy in the NFL or college miss a kick that they can go post on their social media that they could have made it. I think that's something <laughs> that really gets under my skin too. Sure. And I think that you and I talk about this and I'm sure – you know, a lot of other college coaches notice it too. There just, there seems to be such a big gap between being a good high school kicker versus having that talent actually translate to the college level, whatever it's, whether yeah. it's D3 or, or FBS. What do you see as like two or three of the biggest, you know, gaps in understanding for a lot of high school recruits? Uh, one is it's easy in high school to to feel like you can make it to the next level when you're just told how successful you are and no one's telling you you not you you have to work harder to get better mm -hmm. and to to a degree you're always going to have a coach that says hey you need to get better you need to get better but i think a lot of the times it's say say you've got a high school that has a kicker that 
they've never really had a truly successful kicker. And by I mean truly successful, I mean they've never had someone make it in the NFL or never had someone become a, an all-conference kicker at a, at, a, at, a, at a large Power 5 school or even, you know, be a, a standout at a, at a group of five or FCS or anything else. And for a kid to then be told by everyone, oh, you're going to go pro because you're the best kicker the school's ever had. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that can inflate someone's realistic uh, uh, identity of their own talent because they, they're just being told they're better than anyone else that's been there, but they don't truly know what that level looks like. And, you know, like I'll see, you know, kicks that are wobbling through from 50 yards or from 45 yards off the sticks and whatever. And they've got wind and their shirts flapping behind them and, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, their form is not a replicatable form. And there's so many things that are going to bring injuries and inconsistencies, and especially in bad weather, that they're not being corrected, but they're just looking for the result. And they think that the result is all that matters. Mm -hmm. So they say, oh, I can kick a 50-yarder. Okay, well, is that same 50-yarder going to make it in a game? When you've got to do it a little faster when you've got to rely on the snap and hold when the snapper and the holder are under duress versus out on the field by yourself. When the snapper and holder are relaxed, you're relaxed. You're thinking I can even, I can even take this three times on my phone and then I can post it and show everybody that I can make a 50 yard. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I think it's, you know, first of all, if you're going to kick with the wind, wear a tighter shirt. So it doesn't look like you're Superman with his cape flapping. Um, (laughs) And like, you know, I guess it's kind of like golf. Like, no, nobody, I, you know, hitting a ball far is fun. It's really satisfying. But yeah. there's such a gap in understanding between, like, there's a huge difference between doing that off sticks with a hurricane at your back in 100-degree weather in Arizona versus could you do that into a 30-mile-an-hour wind in the middle of November in New England? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think when, when I look at, you know, there, there's also this myth that for a longer field goal, you've got to kick it lower. And you hear announcers say it, you hear non-specialists say this. And you, you see guys that maybe have never been through a lot of uh, instruction that might actually believe it themselves, or they just never have the super height off the, off the ground um, themselves. So every ball comes off low. But when you look at a lot of times you see guys, you see them practicing those 50 yarders and 55 yarders because they think they're more impressive to show people and they're letting their pride get too involved in their process. Um, They don't realize that that is exactly the exact same amount of physical exertion for a 35 yarder as you use on a 50 yarder. There's not one thing physically different you should do. And I don't care if it's a 60-yarder or a 35-yarder. If you're just not strong enough to hit a 60-yarder, then you just don't kick 60-yarders. And your coach is probably never going to let you try one anyway. But if you start thinking, oh, I've got to really get into this one, then that's when everything falls apart. And, and that's every, every skill sport, like golf to 
everything is when you over try that's when you fall outside the lines of your of your body's capacity to perform at a high level sure and I think that there's almost there's like this obsession with the big ball and like oh, yeah. yeah you know if you have from a you know from a coaching model from a fun model if you're running a camp with a bunch of you know 18 year olds who think they're all awesome like that's a really nice way to let just have a competition and thin out the herd whatever yeah you want the camp but I guess it's almost paradoxical right like so you you've got to have the big leg to even be considered for a school at your level but at the same time if you shank your first field goal that's a 19 yard field goal you're not even going to try the 60 yarder I, I can tell you I've seen so many of these long field goal competitions where you have to kind of gradually make them and make your way back because it's elimination to get back. I've seen the stronger legs sometimes go out early and not even make it to the end of it because they missed one of the other kicks. Right. And then it's a matter of, you know, then you've got the kid that's either more consistent or, or just happened to be having a good day or whatever that's actually trying those long attempts in the contest versus the guy who's got the big ball. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's, uh, I, I had, who did I do a podcast with? I don't know if you ever met him, Mike King. He's uh, he coaches kickers up in like university of Northern Alabama, a huge, heavy Southern accent, but he was like, he was like, I don't care. I don't give a darn if you could hit an 80 yard field goal, unless you can hit 40 kicks in a row from, 37 and in and they're all perfect we're not going beyond the red zone yeah how do you I guess for you guys like you you obviously have a higher level of talent whether it's at your current school or previous FBS schools that you've been at how do you guys work on making sure practice mimics what you guys kick in a game well my first test whenever I would be having a conversation with a specialist uh, on a team that I'm going to be with is I'm going to hand or or someone's if someone hands you a ball I want you to go show me your best kick there's two things going on with that with that question it's a trick question because I want to see one where they are mentally and two where they are physically so if someone hands me a ball and says, hey, Shane, I want you to go give me your best kick. First thing I'm going to ask is, well, where do you want me to put it? Right. Whereas if it says your best kick, go out there anywhere you want and show me your best kick, then I would say, all right, I'm going to go put the ball down to 20-yard line and hit a nice clean ball, you know, optimally put it down the middle you know, nice and high, whatever. Um, Unfortunately, what ends up happening is most of these kids, especially like at kicking camps when I'm out there, you know, and I can be one-on-one or one-on-15 or whatever, uh, I'll do this one by one before I tell them what I'm thinking. And most kids will go back to 50 or 55 or or 63 or or whatever, because they're thinking your best kick is – what can I show off the most? Mm-hmm. And then I'll, I'll give you one guess as to uh, the over-under on percentage as far as where those kicks are made or not. Right. You yeah, know, most of them aren't, right? Mo- most are not. Yeah. And, you know, what I want to see is someone that's going to go kick a realistic field goal and just hit a clean ball. 
not someone who's going to go out and try to extend their range and try to kill it. And obviously say, well, I hit it yesterday. I don't care about yesterday. Check my Twitter, man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to hear that or see that. So, right. you know, I think that's the thing that when I got into coaching, um, I was told by some other people on staff that I was a little harsh in my standard. And I guess there's truth to that, but yet why would, why shouldn't you? Right. I mean, I understand, you know, I, I went to my first coaching job was at central Michigan and I was saying, I want my punter to hit this type of ball with this type of hang time. And if he hits his best ball, I want it to be this hang time and this whatever, you know, in perfect conditions. And this person was, you know, someone said, well, really, you know, a four one's good or a four two. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. Right. And, you know, then I got to Michigan state and, you know, I understand recruiting's a little different, the higher up the food chain you go. And, you know, here in Florida, you know, I expect when I, when I talk to my guys that the standard that I expect for performance is really not that far off from what you're going to see NFL guys doing. Sure. And even when it comes to recruiting, whether it's kids coming out of high school, whether it's, you know, a 21 year old from Australia or whatever, you know, like I, I want to see someone that's going to hit a five Oh ball. And I don't mean one out of 20. I mean, a few out of 10 and then their, their bad hits are going to be four fours, four threes, four fives. And then their average hits are going to be four sevens, four eights. Um, you know, and, and the NFL, you're going to see guys hitting five fours, five threes, but most guys are hitting maybe just over five Oh, and they're going to hit a lot of four sixes and four sevens and four eights, but you're hardly ever going to see a guy hit under four seconds. Sure. And, you know, if I see a guy that's kicking a 60 yard, you know, rocket at three, nine, I'm going to tell him he needs to do better. And that's not good enough. And, you know, if I'm watching recruiting film, I want to see guys hit. I want to see guys hit nice, clean, forty to forty-five yard balls, and the occasional 50, 55, 60, That's great, but I want to see hang time. I want to see if I'm looking at film from behind them while they're punting, and when they take their steps, whether they're going right or left or straight or whatever. I don't want to see the ball pull off left really hard because they're swinging across their body because right. that's just telling me they're a soccer player and they're probably pinching it like this and swinging across the ball. I want to see a guy's good grip. I want to see their hands. I want to see them swing up and through the ball. And I want to see the ball turn over most of the time. I understand we're not going to get that all the time, but to me, if you're going to get a scholarship to a, to a big time school, you have to be able to produce those kind of numbers, even to be considered coming out of high school. Sure. And your stats or, showing me film off the you know 40 yard punt that rolls 30 yards like that 70 yard punt to me just says that the returner just couldn't get to the ball um you know or if you're if you tell me that you're a rugby punter um and I see you do this rollout punt and you hit the ball that screams across the ground that's great but you know I'm not trying to to get down on anyone but when I see the true rugby punting to me, rugby punting was invented for the guy who wasn't a good punter. Right. And what that means is a lot of high schools don't have very specific skilled 
players for kicking and punting. You see quite a few that got the kid that came off the soccer team, or you see a few that got the kid that obsesses over it and he's going to go somewhere and he's got talent, or you see the kid who's going to be really good in high school and potentially go to college. But for the most part, you might just have that athlete on the team that they don't have a kicker, but he can suffice. Right. And, or the quarterback, or, you know, that, that guy that's probably going to go be a, a four-star uh, linebacker or DB somewhere, but he can also punt because he's such a good athlete. Um, you'll see where you can tell that quarterback or tell that skill player, just roll out and kick it like a soccer ball down the field. You know, sure. swing across your body and, and line drive it. And that's what it turned into. And then that's also why when the Australians started coming over with their rollout punts, and they were hitting their ball. They, you know, the TV announcers are calling it rugby style, but it's truly not. And I actually right. have to make sure that the coaches above my pay grade know, like, that's actually not a rugby punt. That's an an Aussie style drop punt or whatever with the rollout. Sure. Um, sure. But you know, and I see some of the kids that want to roll out and then hit a spiral while on the run. Yeah. And and here's the reason why they do that. Uh, one, they see it on TV and, they, and they, they see a big ball every now and then, or they see that it is hard to handle because the returner might have a hard time getting to it. And, and that's the whole purpose of it. But trying to hit that big spiral off of a rollout is, is so hard because you're swinging across your plane, the ball's moving sideways as you're rolling out sideways, right. and you're, you're hitting two different path planes of the ball falling in your foot and you have to match it perfect but what happens is somebody hits one out in, on the field on a, on a you know Thursday afternoon and on in the summer and they bomb it yeah so then it's like well look what I can do I can hit this big ball off of it and so when the coach says what's your what's your best punt oh my, my rugby punt my rollout <laughs> spiral right and it's like eh, it's, it, it might be your biggest ball but it's not your best punt so, yeah. you know, that, that's just the harsh reality of how I look at things is I have a very tough standard and, um, you know, it, most coaches without having a guy on staff that, that have the, the experience that I have as far as this field, um, they're going to have a really tough standard too. The only difference is they're not going to have solutions or, or answers or, or sure. options versus I'm going to have tough standards, but I'm at least going to try to help you get to those standards. Right. Yeah. Which I think is, you know, it's surprising that you don't see more, you know, ex uh, NFL specialists coaching at the FBS level, but it almost seems like, it almost seems like if you're the, and we've talked about this before, if you're the kicking coach, you are now the kicker of the coaching staff and the, the head coach is used to, coach is foaming at the mouth with the clipboard and then but a kicking coach or if you're working with a kicker it looks a little bit more like you know a, a caddy and a golfer rather than uh i know a coach screaming at a d lineman yeah well you know and, and, and i made sure when, when i when i knew i wanted to become a coach and this was before i retired from playing um i want my goal was to be a special teams coordinator not not a kicking coach not a slight against kicking coaches, but I wanted to be more a part of the overall game versus because I knew if I did that, the, the kicking coach would come by default. 
Sure. Like, like that, that's going to be there no matter what. So, you know, I spend a lot of my time in my office watching film on all the other stuff and breaking things down and drawing things up and all that. But uh, when, when you see some of these teams that have kicking coaches, just because someone was a good kicker doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a good coach. And that's why I think it's, it's great if you have a passion for it and you understand how to communicate and you understand how to teach and be a leader and all that kind of stuff. Like those are all required with the passion and the love for the game and the players and, and, and the relationships you form. But, you know, there's going to be guys that are great kickers that just aren't going to want to invest what it takes to be a great coach for it. Sure. But also there might be guys that physically never had either the opportunities or the talent or the physical ability to make it in the NFL, but can be really good coaches for it. Sure. You know, like there's a lot of coaches out there that never played in the NFL. Some maybe aspired to, and maybe the opportunities just weren't there or the timing uh, or, or maybe physically that it just wasn't going to happen for them, but they have a passion and a drive and a, and a love for the, the skill and the teaching and the way they communicate and, and, and foster those relationships with the players they coach. Um, I think that's what makes a good coach. So you see some of these guys and, you know, it's just like I've seen plenty of great NFL players at other positions that just immediately get thrown in as a coach and sure. they, wash, they wash out because they don't realize how much work is involved with it. And they're not really wanting that. They, they just want to be on the field blowing the whistle and instructing and give an example versus all the studying and all the stuff you have to learn to basically teach the techniques and, and, and critique the techniques and, and, you know, repetition, repetition, repetition is the way you teach. And, you know, there's just, that's why you've got a guy like Bilicek who's so good at coaching a football, mm -hmm. you know, coaching football, but really you don't he hear anything college, right? like I don't even know what his college background was. I'm sure he played, but he just was super unimposing on the football world as a player, but he's a genius mm -hmm. as far as what he can do with his teaching and everything. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's, um, I've been around, you know, it's funny, like in the kicking universe, it seems like a lot of the, the current or former NFL guys, like, you know, they all know what it was like to be a kid who was confused and need a little bit of help with kicking because nobody knew how to do it. But there is, there is a wide spectrum of like NFL guys who are very good on Sunday, but then like, they're not sure how to explain a drop to a middle school kid or, or a 14 year old kid. There's other, it's, it can be really hard to, to figure out how you translate what you do so easily to somebody yeah. else, you know? And, and, and you know what I think makes us, uh, and I may be giving myself too much credit because I'm not, I don't want to make assumptions, but what I thought made me a better player when I was in college was coaching kicking camps. Mm -hmm. because I was reaffirming to myself and learning myself sure. what I was doing for myself. And when I, every time I spoke it to someone else, it was just reinforcement. Sure. And doing that over and over and over in, in college, 
And then when I got in the NFL and I started giving private lessons and, you know, when I first got out of college, I, I, I charged, you know, I, I don't know, hundred an hour, 150 an hour. I think at one point I got, but this was also before I made an NFL team. Sure. And then once I made it in the NFL, I stopped charging because one, I was doing that to, to, to help me survive at that point. <laughs> right, I, yeah, I was right. broke, you know, I was in debt. Um, but once I started playing, I didn't say, well, my time is more valuable, so I should charge more. It was, I know that I wouldn't have made it if guys hadn't helped me. Sure. So I'm going to help as many kids as I can when I have the time. And, you know, it was everything from guys that reached out to me on the internet or, you know, I remember one day driving past the high school in Cincinnati and I saw a kid kicking out on a field. I just pulled over and walked out on the field and talked with him and watched him kick and talked to him mm-hmm. for an hour and a half. One day. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, to me, I really enjoyed that. And I didn't, you know, after it was all over, I didn't say like, you know, I normally charge $200 for this, but right. you know, it was just, all right, well, good luck to you. If everything works out, you know, if you want to, you want to stay in touch, you know, here's my email, whatever. Um, and, and those are relationships that, are, that that meant a lot to me. And, you know, now that I'm doing this in the way that I am, I think back to those times when, you know, I had a parent get a hold of me and say, hey, my kid's trying to be a kicker. Can you whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, you know, during that time, it was easy to kind of filter through the the parents that wanted to live vicariously through their child and push their child into being a kicker because they couldn't or, or because they thought that was their way in, you know? Right. And then you saw the kids that were truly hungry and wanted to learn because there were, there were plenty of kids that, you know, that their, their parents, you know, would throw the money at it, but the kid didn't care. Sure. But there were so many that I, that I got to know during the time I was actually charging that I felt like, you know what, don't tell, don't tell anyone else, but I'm not going to charge you guys for this today because I'm just going to use a name, little Johnny, little Johnny wants this so much. And I don't feel right charging you guys because I never had to pay for lessons when I was a kid. And, you know, I've got a, you know, you see these helmets and stuff on my wall back here. Uh, I'm actually going to flip you around here and show you something that when I talk about uh, people that help me, so if you look right here, you see all the helmets that I that I wore in my career, right? Yep. Yep. What do you? What are the two you see up top? Uh, you got West Virginia, Ohio State. Right? Okay. So when I was nine years old, there was a guy named Pat O'Mora from. Radford, Virginia, which is the, the town that I grew up in, and uh, not the same high school, but same same town area, and he was the kicker at Ohio State, like in the late 80s, I believe, and he, uh, you know, he came out and worked with me and kind of got me started from where I was just a soccer player that was doing what I saw guys on TV do, you know, blindly taking steps back and stepping over without understanding the the geometry of the whole thing and gave me direction. You know, first time I ever heard things like get your hip through it, uh, you know, explosion, push off momentum, 
follow through. Like things like that were not in my vernacular at nine years old. It was just, just kick that ball as hard as you can kick it. You know, like that's all you knew. Yeah. That's and, the first lesson. You know, that's the first lesson. You just kick the dang ball, you know, yep. and that's what it, that's what it, people who don't know, but you know, and from that, it was where I only got to see him on Thanksgivings. And I was fortunate that when I was in high school, I started varsity all four years and um, we went to the playoffs all four years. And we always had a game Thanksgiving week. So he would always be in town for Thanksgiving because when he was in school or when he was out of school, he was actually out of school at this time and he had went through the AFL uh, arena league, but then he blew his knee out and he kind of lost his opportunities beyond that. And so when he'd come back home to visit his family, we always got together. He would come to my practice at my high school and we'd kick together. And it was just great moments for me to know like, all right, Pat's coming to practice today. And I would get so excited about it. Um, you know, when I was inducted into Virginia Tech's Hall of Fame, he was one of the guys I invited to it because he was, you know, he never made it to the level that I made it to, but I always considered him one of my biggest mentors. Sure. And you saw the West Virginia one, and that was Paul Woodside. And yeah, he's a you know, he's a cult figure. Yeah, yeah. So so Paul Woodside is a guy that I met my freshman year when I was uh, at a camp, and back then those camps were called uh, Mark Mosley kicking camps, uh, but they were run essentially by a guy named Bill Renner, mm -hmm. and Bill Renner punted in the NFL for a little while, but Bill Renner was a guy who played at Virginia Tech. And Bill Renner, his daughter married my dad's high school coach and principal. Mm -hmm. So, I'm sorry, his wife, Bill Renner's wife was my dad's high school principal and high school coach's father. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> There's a you connection, know, yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So Ken Dobson, who my high school stadium is named after, uh, was our kicking coach at my high school, you know, and he was in his 70s when I was in high school. And I was the first soccer style kicker ever at my high school. It was all straight on because that's what they knew because all their kickers went to the Martin Mosley kicking camps and all that. And soccer style was still fairly new and soccer in general in my hometown was, was, was a joke. So just none of the kids ever thought they would ever kick a football because soccer right. and football didn't really merge in my hometown. So when I started going to these camps, Bill Renner had Paul Woodside on his staff and Paul Woodside was, was like the guru soccer player uh, or soccer style kicker uh, coach for us. And him and I connected on a personal level outside of just kicking and that's when I started kind of realizing, like, you know, the whole concept of the preparation isn't all physical. And getting me kind of learning the mental side of the game and respecting that and, and putting that into my process. And, you know, his whole thing is, what have you done for your kicking before you kick? Yeah, and I like that. That's the name of his business is before you kick. Right. And that's his whole thing. So Helm and I kind of uh, lodged on to each other. And to this day, 
we text each other. He sends me a birthday present every year like clockwork. It's either a funny gag, gift, and a book. I mean, I, ha I have books from him that just I have in my storage or in my closet. And, you know, I've read most of them, you know, whether they're John C. Maxwell or, or you know, whoever. You know, he sends me some sort of a relevant book every year sure. and, uh, you know, love the guy. And, you know, those two guys I see as my, my biggest influences yeah. uh, and mentors. But I always thought, man, I want to be them to somebody one day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can do that as a special teams coach because not only do I recruit kids in high school that are kicking and I get to have so many conversations with them before they get there, but then once I have them, yes, I'm coaching all these other things, but ultimately most of my time in practice will be with them. Sure. Yeah, and I think most guys can look back at their career and they can say, you know, it's – you know, they have really good who luck, the right person, right time, right mentor. Um, yeah. And we're last question. Cause I will, we'll wrap up here. What, what would be one piece of advice you would give to a rising high school senior right now? Obviously the coronavirus, it kind of is what it is through a wrench and in, into recruiting for a little bit, but what will be one piece of advice you would give a rising senior who's a kicker who's trying to play in college next year? Um, create a routine where you balance life and, and, and your football. So create a balance so that everything you do is like, you don't have to be, if you're not doing something to get better, you're not getting better. Like, yes, that's true, but you also have to live your life. So sure. find a balance between your football and your life. And then whatever you give yourself for football make every second of that productive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it's your pre-workout warm-up routine to your post-kicking conditioning, your strength, your weights, whatever you're doing. And I know we're limited right now with what we can do in gyms and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, try to be creative, but, but structure it so that you can have a process that when you wake up in the, you know, in the morning, you're, you're ticking things off your list that you're making yourself better. And if, you know, whatever those things may be, you know, have a purpose to every single thing that you're doing so that, you know, you might've gotten 1% better that day sure. instead of just going out. Well, I'll, well, I didn't, I didn't kick yesterday. So I guess I'll kick today. And, uh, you know, I'll just kick to my legs. So no, like, <laughs> I'm like literally write out a script of what drills you're going to do, write out what kicks you're going to kick. You know, if, if you want to put a script for with the wind, against the wind, the left wind, the right wind, whatever, you know, you might have on the field, you're going to kick on, whether it's a park with goalposts or no goalposts or a high school field or, or wherever your access is. Um, try to script out your plan and, and use that because once you get to the next level, everything is scripted out. Right. Yep. So yep. there's no, like, it, it's just so productive to do that. And when, when I was taught to do that in high school, I mean, I, I had folders of all my charting and scripting stuff, pre-practice to post-practice from high school 
And then when I got to college and NFL, I have stacks of notebooks from every season I ever played sure. where I can go back and look at my charting and scripting from every practice. And I have notes at the bottom of each of those pages saying, this is what happened. This is how I felt. This is what I did well. This is what I struggled with. And it's not, I struggled from the right hash. It's my toe was dragging the ground a little bit too much today. Uh, I felt like my posture may have been collapsing a little bit or my shoulders were off or, or whatever. But also I kicked really well today. I hit the ball really pure and clean. I felt like my posture was good. I felt like I was getting good extension. I don't know why, but I felt really loose today, whatever. And then you can kind of put that into a little bit of an algorithm when you go back and check it and you can kind of create a formula for success off of those. Yeah. Yeah. And I think everybody's got to find their own. Everybody has to find what works best for them. Cause like you could have Adam Vinatieri out there on the field with you as your coach, but he not even he's going to be able to tell you how your swing feels. Um, I I find kids tend to grossly overcorrect like way too fast, way too soon. It's like their first kick wasn't a 60 yard bomb. So now they're reconstructing their entire swing. It's like, dude, chill out. (laughs) And if if you've been disciplined, you, or they don't change anything. (laughs) And what, yeah, what happens sometimes is, you get them to do little drills right? and you try to get them out of their comfort zone gradually. And then what happens is they can show you the perfect dry swing without a ball after they do these drills and after you've worked with them. But then when you put that ball back in front of them and say, all right, go get it. They go right back to their comfort zone. Yep. And they go right back to where they were before. And when you ask them, there's two things they don't realize it or two they said well this has always worked for me so i'm just gonna well then why am i here right yeah (laughs) and i think it's a tough balance too because um you know when you when you're a young kid you understand i mean most kids know what they don't know and there's if johnny paid you a couple hundred bucks as a coach to go to your camp you want to justify the fee that you just charged. So you make up yeah. some like technical gobbledygook. Yeah. And it it might be. Yeah. Which is well-intentioned. You want to help the kid out. But um, you know, I, I remember <clears throat> watching John coach a couple of his guys, John Carney out at one of his camps. And I, I think he must've said maybe like <laughs> he, he, I forget what the, what the guy was working. I was some free agent, but <clears throat> big leg but he kept it and he kept hitting an x ball or something and john was like all right we'll just hit a couple balls and you know we'll see what happens so he two balls four balls six balls eight balls john didn't say anything just kept like yoda just hovering around circling around and then he goes it was like five to eight minutes he didn't say anything he's just watching and then he goes all right i just want you to move your plant foot out one blade of turf and then like it was fixed so but john obviously has he understands that you can only correct so much yeah. before you start yeah. seeing diminishing returns. For sure. And, you know, I, I'm also realistic enough to understand and recognize, okay, this person has a talent set that is going to be special. Sure. And there might need to be some little tweaks and refineries, but there's certain things you can just tell, like, 
I'll mess this kid up if I try to change this. Right. And, you know, it's like if I were to look at um, a, a Justin, you know, like Justin Tucker, you know, there's things about his swing that's different than mine. And if he were younger, I might try to say, like, you know, I, I, let's try to do, like, let's not slide your, your, your foot back so much after you take your steps. Right. You know, let's try to stay in one spot. But then I could say that to him. But if this, if this person can be successful, and when I mean successful, I mean they're producing results. Right. Okay. I'm not going to go to Justin Tucker, who's arguably the best kicker in the history of the NFL, and try to change him. But if there's a young kid that is just, or a college kid, that their pride might tell them, well, what I'm doing is work for me, so why should I change it? Okay, well, are you uh, all SEC, all Big Ten? Are you, are you the best kicker in the country? Right, yep. Are you the starter? You know, like, you know, <laughs> like, and if, if you're not, then that on it, you better start figuring out something to get better because whatever you're doing is not working. Right. And, and it, it might, might help work. You. It might work for your standard, but it doesn't work for my standard. Or it, it worked great in high school because nobody knew any better. And uh, it helps you get your ranking and, you know, but yeah. um, yeah. Well, Hey, awesome. I appreciate you taking the time to, to chat. Yeah. I'll, I'll mix it on down and I'll send you a link. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to another episode of the kickers are people Two podcast. If you like this episode or even better, if you didn't like it, please drop us a review on iTunes so we can get better for everybody else. This is important because we're going to start to give away some free cool prizes in the coming weeks, episodes and seasons. Thank you.